This program is part of Film Geek Radio. Visit filmgeekradio.com for more great shows. This is Agents of Shield Cast, your source for the best analysis of the ABC television series Agents of Shield. With your host, Agent Andrew Johnson. If they can bring back Clark Gregg, maybe they can bring back Ed Norton. That'd be weird. Agent Bibbs Bibiani. I got all my ideas from Mr. Belvenier. Come on. Agent Gwen Reyes. Anybody that's not a huge Joss Whedon fan just really needs to pack up their whole life and move to another continent. And Agent Rod Morrow. I feel like someone just ran into your room and gave you a wedgie and then ran back out. They are the Strategic Homeland Intervention Enforcement and Logistics Division Critical Analysis Strike Team, a.k.a. The Shieldcast. Agents Assemble. This is episode number three of the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. cast. This is Film Geek Radio's weekly podcast devoted exclusively to discussion of the ABC television series Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I'm Agent Andrew Johnson, and I'm joined by my fellow members of the Strategic Homeland Intervention Enforcement and Logistics Division Critical Analysis Strike Team. First up, he is an all-around comics enthusiast and the founder of the Black Guy Who Tips podcast network, Agent Rod Morrow. Yellow. Next, she is a member of the Television Critics Association and a writer for RealVixen.com, Agent Gwen Reyes. Hello, guys. Unfortunately, it looks like once again, Agent Bibbs Viviani will not be joining us. Uh, we're hoping that he may jump in I think later he's on. trapped in the Gravitron. I think so. That must be what happened. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's going to be the shield cast big bad. I'm pretty sure, but yeah. So hopefully he'll he'll join in later. Uh, I'm Andrew Johnson. I'm the founder of Film Geek Radio. And as always, you can email the agents of Shieldcast at shieldcast at filmgeekradio.com, and you can access all of our episodes by subscribing to us on iTunes. Uh, if you like the show, please leave us a review. Uh, that would really help us out a lot. And if you leave us a good a good review we will make you an honorary member of the shield cast and agent Gwen, agent Rod, I got to tell you, I'm a little bit disappointed because we know a lot of people are listening to the show, but we haven't received any iTunes reviews yet, which, which kind of bums me out because we have this position open on the shield cast. We're looking for a handler to um, train and, and just deal with all of our monkeys. They have tiny hands. They're very useful. In the field. Yeah, you're right, When They have very tiny hands. <laughs> so we, we need someone to apply for that position. And the only way to apply is to leave us a positive iTunes review. So if you're listening to this and you like the show over the next week, take two minutes, go to iTunes, leave us a five-star review. And that job could be yours. And we will be sure to give you a very, very special shout-out on the show. We are also recording this live right now at Spreecast.com. To receive updates on when we'll be recording live, you can search for Agents of Shieldcast with all the correct periods in there, and uh, you can sign up to be alerted for whenever we do a live recording. Uh, you can also follow film underscore geek underscore radio on Twitter or uh, any of us on Twitter for information on when we're going to be recording live. Uh, we will give out those handles at the end of the show. Today, we're going to be talking about Season 1, Episode 3 of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. It's titled The Asset. It was written by Jed Whedon and Marissa Tancheron, and it was directed by Milan Chalov. This is not a spoiler-free podcast, so if you haven't seen this episode of the show yet, pause this podcast, go watch it, and then come back. Let's dive right into things. Agent Gwen Reyes, why don't you give our listeners the quick, official, one-sentence synopsis of what happened in this episode? Well, according to ABC, 
when the brilliant scientist Dr. Franken Hill, I almost said Frankenstein, Franklin Hill Hall <laughs> is kidnapped, Coulson and his shield agents must race against the clock to locate him. There's a lot of racing against clocks on, on this show. Yes, yes. It seems like every week it's a race against time. Agent Ron Morrow, I'm going to start with you. What did you think of the asset? Just give me some of your general thoughts. I enjoyed it tremendously. Um, I thought that they're starting to make me look very smart, getting origin stories and shit in here, which I was hoping we'd get some, getting a little bit of uh, interaction between Ward and Sky, uh, which I thought was good. And the comedy beats for me were what kind of was a strong suit of this of this episode uh because i i thought amidst all the chaos and all the action it was still very funny i agree yeah it was very funny uh agent gwen reyes what did you think i have to agree i really um i thought the flow of this episode was really really nicely paced i love ian hart so i was really excited to see him sitting in the back of the uh the semi that got picked up and then dropped and that was actually like for special effects wise that was a really cool scene just like seeing a whole semi and then cat and then just like on its side afterwards um and i really am loving fitz i think he is now officially my favorite character because he's so neurotic but also really funny and i agree we need more monkeys on television yes i really hope we get to see the monkeys on the show at some point i mean nick fury already said they can't have fish but yeah. <laughs> what about he didn't say anything about monkeys so <laughs> Um, I agree with both of you guys. I really enjoyed this episode. This is the first episode of the show, I think, that is just really solid on all fronts. It feels like uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is starting to hit its stride. Uh, The team is working well together in this episode, so I guess uh, episode two really was an effective coming together Mm -hmm. moment. Uh, There isn't really any team conflict here but there's there's some some uh, character work there's a pretty twisty plot where i wasn't sure who exactly was the bad guy here and we were introduced at the very end to a possible supervillain a possible yes. big bad who could return later in the season and that's something that we all said that we wanted to see on the show and that it seemed like the show needed so i'm very happy to see uh, those pieces put in place Let's start from the beginning. Gwen, you mentioned that this is this episode just has a fantastic opening scene with that truck convoy attack. That scene was really cool because it was also I mean and I maybe I'm just a weird TV person, but I was also really excited to see that Shield has agents of different sizes and job orientations. I was happy to see like a chubby uh, agent working in the field. So I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, he he looks like just your stereotypical trucker. Typical truck truck driver, yeah. So I thought that was great. Um, but I think that was just so cool because you know he's just driving, and then they hit that electromagnetic force field, and it gets picked up. And I thought that just the special effects are still kind of iffy on the show, but the, I was totally buying that the whole the whole time that happened. That was a great cold open. Yeah, the in that scene, the special effects I thought were pretty well done. Uh, my main question at the time was like, I did, cause you don't find out that it's the electromagnetic, uh, gravitonium, uh, objects until later. So I was like, is that like so much superpower? Like, is that going to be like, are they going to pan over? There's going to be some dude like Magneto just lifting up people's trucks and slamming them down or, you know, like what was going on there. So that that was kind of interesting. Um, also, I saw how they like slid in a little quick shield tech, like with the 
uh, HUD HUD on the uh, truck where he just oh, yeah, it was like totally <laughs> gratuitous. But I still was like, oh yeah, okay, this guy works for Shield because uh, <laughs> it was just like go left here. It's like well, there's really nowhere to go, is there? But yeah, they they get slammed around. I thought that was cool, and uh, yeah, I thought that dude was totally dead too. So all right. I was really glad when they came back and he didn't die because I was like, uh, I hope that guy comes back. I feel like there's some good comedic uh, stuff they can do about him being an agent uh, amongst all these pretty ass people. I was kind of hoping that after his truck fell to the ground and we saw that he was still alive, I was kind of hoping that some villain would reveal themselves and that he would suddenly become like this kung fu master and have all the combat training that we that uh, Coulson and all the rest of them have, but... Unfortunately, no. We didn't get to see the extent of his uh, skills as an agent. But that's a really great segue because I think what was fun about this episode, too, is seeing Skye and Ward working together to make her a better fighter. And I loved that. I thought that was a really great way of going in for the long haul of showing that she's not going to have this natural. And a lot of the agents don't have it natural. that They have to earn it and they have to learn how to be fighters. And I really you don't see that a lot in TV. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this was the first episode where I actually really liked Sky, and even Ward is starting to win me over, which I didn't expect. And the moment I found myself liking Ward was when he revealed to Sky that the whole gag with the truth serum in the pilot was fake, that there was no truth serum. Mm-hmm. And suddenly I was just like, oh, wait. So that means that Ward knows how to play people. Ward isn't just the combat guy. Ward has other skills. He can lie. He can play along with Coulson. Finally, some dimension to this guy. Yeah, that is also if he was telling the truth then. Because mm-hmm. later they hint towards, like, maybe it was a true sir, maybe there wasn't, you know, when she brings it up with Coulson. One way or the other, he's really good at, you know, he has, like, a kind of a sense of humor to him and kind of a a streak of uh, a little bit more deception than he leads on as, uh, as such a straightforward character early in the series. True. Right. I'm still not a big fan of the sexual tension they're trying to work in between them. It's going to happen. I know it's probably going to happen. I'm, j- I'm just glad that my prediction from last week didn't come true and that they didn't wind up on top of each other oh. <laughs> in, in some wrestling match. I can't wait for like episode six when that happens. And they're just like making out. November sweets. <laughs> I'm totally going to be like, at Ryder Andrew, there you go. Let <laughs> us leave a note for him. <laughs> I mean, there there was a little moment when he's teaching her how to uh, disarm a gun yeah. from someone where he, they're kind of, he's kind of like embracing her. But it's a really quick moment and they don't linger on it too long. And I was just like, thank you. Please just do not play that up. But yeah, that that disarmor gun thing that I, I enjoyed that. That's gonna matter. Um, I especially like the opening training scene between the two of them because uh, the well, this episode was so good at knowing how I felt as an audience member and evoking those feelings. Because the entire time I was like, she's not taking this shit seriously. She, you know, she's like every cute girl at the gym at this point. You know, walking around on her cell phone. Uh, barely interested and then she's just gonna leave here anyway and it's like uh you know she wasn't punching the bag she you know she's arguing with him between you know she showed up late she's arguing with him between his uh points about why she needs to learn this stuff like i actually did kind of still uh hate her at that moment 
And I was like, well, why are you here then? You know, you don't want to pick a role. You don't want to really have a part. You just want to sit here and pick apart everything that they do. And uh, I thought that was really key to setting up later things that happen in the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I also like how they they started to give us a little bit more information on these characters' backstories. I'm not quite fully sold uh, on how satisfying the explanations ultimately were. Uh, they seemed a bit too simplistic at times, but uh, we learned that Ward's quote-unquote family history that Coulson uh, mentioned in the pilot, that he was talking about the fact that uh, Ward uh, and his little brother used to be abused by, was it an older brother or his father? Older brother. By his older brother. He just really liked uh, cake, guys. I don't. I would fight someone for <laughs> cake, too. This was some birthday cake. I mean, yeah. Don't take somebody take don't take a man's birthday cake. That is not cool. Let he who has not cast the first stone over cake cast the first stone <laughs> in real life. That's what Jesus said. I'm not sure that's how it goes. Close. I'm paraphrasing. Close enough. Close enough. <laughs> but yeah, what did what did both of you think of that backstory for Agent Ward? Is that enough? Do you buy it? Here's what I thought. We are going to meet that older brother, and he is going to be a bad guy or something. Oh. So um, it just made me excited. Was, like, every time they have more story, uh, like, there's a moment also where Sky is talking to Ian, whatever his name is. He's like, oh, well, you know, you don't have any family to protect. And then she makes, like, this weird face, and I'm like, oh, she might have some secret family. Like, I just keep thinking of other stuff that they're going to point towards with this these small reveals I don't think will be the end of it. So with this one, I think we'll, we'll meet his brother somehow is like still being kind of that bully in his life in some way of shape or form. That's an interesting prediction. We'll have to wait and see if that comes to pass. You and your brothers, where'd you grow up? Massachusetts, mostly. A house? You didn't? One house. Brodies. Hmm. I was nine. Sent me back to St. Agnes after a month. Said I wasn't a good fit. Foster parents. You first? You third? We also learned that Skye is an orphan and mm-hmm. that she was raised by several foster families. I'm still waiting for a little bit more than that, honestly, because it's clear that sh- she has experience like erasing her identity and vanishing from databases and, and all that. So I'm, I'm waiting to see like what prompted that, what made her decide I'm just going to leave all of this completely behind. We didn't quite get very many clues as to as to what could have started that. Yeah, I you know, it's funny is I I couldn't really tell if she was orphaned or abandoned because it was a kind of a weird line when she was like this is the first house that happened at 9, but there was another family before that. So I didn't know if she was being literal about like maybe she lived in like an apartment before that or what, but and then she goes off and what happens after she's 9? Like does she just kind of float around from system to system. So it didn't sound like she had other foster families after that. 
Yeah, I'm still hoping for a little more with both of those characters, but I'm, I'm glad that they've started giving us some pieces. They've started giving us some breadcrumbs that'll hopefully lead to some more reveals about their past, and that in turn will give us a little bit uh, greater insight into them as characters. We also learned a little bit about Fitz and Simmons in this episode. Uh, not a whole lot, but we learned that they know Dr. Franklin Hall and mm-hmm. that they studied under him, which I thought was interesting. Mm-hmm. If he becomes the big bad of the season, then there could be some interesting conflicts there. I hope it's true. I think it would be great. Because that's always what makes it great is you have to, then they'll have to, ha- that'll bring them into the story too, that they have to have this conflict and this emotional attachment to a man that in essence made them who they are. And now they have to see if he's going to become this awful figure that they think maybe they can fix him or maybe he'll bring them in. He'll want to bring them in and kind of tempt them away from shield. Right. Franklin Hall isn't like a um, bad guy, quote unquote. Like he had, there was complexity to his role where he wasn't just some evil asshole where he was like, no, I'm sacrificing for the greater good. We can't let gravitonium fall into the hands of a bad guy like this, uh, like Ian Quinn. And even, you know, at the end, there's like a nobility to the character. And it does kind of bear out because Fitz and uh, Simmons, they both were like, we don't believe that this guy is evil. His heart's in the right place. He can't. They were still thinking he could be reasoned with because it was that like he's that good of a guy. So I kind of appreciated that dynamic to the character as opposed to how we've kind of had it so far. It's just been good guy or bad guy, period. Yeah, I always think that the best villains are the ones who don't realize that they're villains. They're the ones that have pretty good positive motivations and in this episode we see that dr franklin hall he just wants to get rid of this gravitonium stuff Mm -hmm. he just wants to destroy it he doesn't think anyone should have it and he's willing to kill a few innocent people if it if it could end up saving millions more down the road so you're right rod i like that he's a very complex villain and i also like how that brings S.H.I.E.L.D. back into question, whether or not S.H.I.E.L.D. should be viewed as an organization for good or as an organization for evil. And that's something that we, we touched on in our discussion of the pilot as well. It seems like we're, we're constantly having these villains or these people that the agents encounter question, you know, are you on the right side? Does S.H.I.E.L.D. really have the world's best interests at heart? Mm -hmm. We're starting to see that, well, no, S.H.I.E.L.D. makes mistakes. Mm -hmm. I mean, we've seen that S.H.I.E.L.D. can study the Tesseract and bring on an alien invasion. We've seen that the people in charge of S.H.I.E.L.D., the international community or organization, they, they have no problem firing missiles at Manhattan at the end of the Avengers. And here... I was surprised because in episode two, Coulson was all about destroying the uh, Hydra technology that they found and putting it in the slingshot. In this episode, he just decides to take it down to the fridge, as they call it, to put it into deep storage. Mm -hmm. And I was just wondering, well, wait, why would you do that? And he even says, this is what Dr. Hall would have wanted. And I was like, no, this is not what Dr. Hall would have wanted. Dr. Hall wanted you to destroy it. He would want you to put this into slingshot exactly. and send it to the sun. Yep, exactly. It was also um, kind of cool because 
Dr. Hall actually knew a lot of stuff that S.H.I.E.L.D. had done. So it makes you wonder, like, how in this universe, how much is common knowledge what S.H.I.E.L.D. has been up to and how much is, like, inside knowledge? And did he just have access to a lot of inside knowledge? And that's why he knew that they tried to create an arsenal with the alien tech they talked about in Avengers. Or did he know all that stuff? Because everybody knows that stuff about S.H.I.E.L.D. at this point. So, I, you know, that's going to be interesting because it does seem like they do have a lot of the, what I was looking for, which is the... Is S.H.I.E.L.D. Big Brother, and who gives them the right? Where do they get off, so to speak? And I like that that's a huge element of this show. It actually made Sky very interesting in this episode because her entire plot and storyline seemed to navigate around the idea that who is S.H.I.E.L.D. and why does she think that they're the good guys and why is she working with them in this situation and uh, where do her loyalties lie? And I and I thought that was uh, it. Re- it made really good TV. Yeah. Right. And in this episode, she seems to have made her choice and to have de- decided to commit to Shield. Um, we'll see if that's really the case later on. I, I'm sure we'll be hearing again from Rising Tide, uh, since she used to work for them. But she she tells. Ian Quinn in this episode, she says, quote, they're the nice big brother who stands up for his helpless little brother. And I was thinking, okay, clearly that's the very idealistic view of S.H.I.E.L.D. that S.H.I.E.L.D. wants to promote. S.H.I.E.L.D. wants everyone to think that they're this really good organization that has everyone's best interests at heart. But Ian Quinn does have a point when he says that uh, might not be the case. That also was one of the best comedic beats. Right. Like, there's two in that scene. One, her trying to recite Agent Ward's story Mm -hmm. as, like, as inspirational, like, telling the bad guys off moment. Whereas, like, Chills is looking out for the little brother who's, you know, running from Big Brother because there's some cake and uh, there's, uh, and then she just kind of loses the beat. (laughs) Like, this is way too complicated to explain. Takes the gun from Ian and then... (laughs) when they're like oh well do you have the balls to shoot him which ward brings up earlier in the training montage where she's learning disarm techniques he's like yeah but when the time comes are you gonna have the balls to pull the trigger and there's this moment where i think in almost every other show she definitely would have shot someone and she's like nope and jokes out (laughs) and i died laughing yeah I'm already prepared for the animated gif that that is going to be my response for everything now (laughs) just be like nope (laughs) yeah that was a really nice moment but I also thought was really cool in that scene is that Quinn also said that you know they know what to use against you they know how to get you invested in shield I think that there's a a point that we're not we're still not supposed to trust Sky but at the same time she desperately wants to believe in shield and we see that at the end of the episode when she's like you know I'm in this I wanted to be a part of a family before and now I have a chance. It's like they know that what's going to keep Sky involved with that is the fact that now she's developing this family and these ties that she's never had before. Yeah. And like I said, it also makes you wonder if because this is kind of like, oh, so they're replacing your family and that's how they're going to use it against you. And then, like I said, her face was so like guarded at that point where and they kind of emphasize on it that it, I do wonder also if she does have some type of family and if all her secrets are to like to uh protect someone or something you know yeah getting back to dr franklin hall i found just the way the plot was structured with him uh very well done because at first they make you think he's a victim 
then he starts to uh, kind of warm up to him, and it seems like, yeah, he's on Quinn's side, and Quinn was right to say that he would want to join him in experimenting with the Gravitonium. And then at the end, when we realized that Dr. Hall arranged all of it, that surprised me. I was like, okay, I didn't see that coming. That makes it a little bit more complex. So it's hard sometimes, I think, for TV shows to surprise audiences. Um, And it's usually easy to see the plot twist coming from a mile away. But this one worked for me. Yeah. Also, like him coordinating everything for the better good. Like I said, it it makes him like not devious but almost you know it's like sure it was underhanded but he's trying to save the world Mm -hmm. (laughs) y'all everyone kind of you know like so it's almost like if that character comes back which i expect him to come back it won't just be as this like oh he's just evil it'll be kind of like you guys screwed him over and now he totally has a good bone to pick with you yeah and that's what makes him a really interesting character. I mean, that's going to make him a really fun and rich villain that I think is going to last longer if they do bring him back last longer than just an episode, like as an overarching one, because we all love villains that we all love villains in general, but we also love villains that are almost humanized in a way. And the fact that he really doesn't want this to hurt other people, but at the same time, he doesn't want anyone to have the power unless he's the one that has it. And now he's like, I told you and you put me into this Graviton and now now you have to deal with the fact that you made me as this villain. And I think that that's going to be really fun to play with as the season goes on. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. And uh, I was honestly kind of surprised that the episode ended with uh, Dr. Hall being sucked into uh, the Gravitonium field. It's not too late to do the right thing. Help me find a tablet. I am doing the right thing completely selfless act. I know that history never celebrates what didn't happen. They'll call this a, a tragedy. You won't understand the good I did here. Killing innocent people? Saving millions. We have to live with the choices we make. But sometimes we have to die with them too. I understand. You made a hard call. I was expecting Coulson to sacrifice himself again because they have this little moment where Coulson just ha- just says something like, well, yes, I know what I have to do now. And I was expecting him to sacrifice himself and for mm-hmm. then that to lead into the big reveal about, OK, what is Coulson? How can he keep surviving death? But no, Coulson decides to not sacrifice himself and just kill Dr. Hall, which I thought was was interesting. And I was trying to think, okay, is this in keeping with the character? Like, would Coulson yeah. ultimately choose Dr. Hall over himself? For sure. I, I believe that's true. I think because we're not dealing with this. One, I don't think we're dealing with the same Coulson that we've been dealing with before. And I think we've all kind of, just because of Clark Gregg's performance in the movies, We've all built this Coulson up to be this like self-sacrificing guy, but he's never really proved himself to be that way until Avengers. And I think that now we have this new Coulson. We don't really, you know, we still are unsure about his background. He made a choice and that's kind of the choice that S.H.I.E.L.D. makes too. It's like we have to do the greater good for the greater amount of people. And if that means I have to kill this guy, then that's cool. I'm fine with that. I'm going to sleep fine at night. It could also mean that dying sucks. 
So might not, might <laughs> yeah, not be a fan of that, that again. But you get to go to Tahiti, and I hear it's beautiful. <laughs> it's magical. It's magical. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he might not be a fan of dying uh, again. But then also he tells him before he does, it's like, I understand you made a tough call. And, you know, to him, it was like, this is my tough call. You can't kill all these people. I'm just not going to let it happen. And uh, you, you're you going to be the one to be the catalyst. So, yeah, I I, I, I get why he did it. And uh, I don't think the character would necessarily just is jumping to to die again. And I also don't don't think that uh the show would be made better if he just died in episode three. So I'm glad he stuck around. What leader would do that? You know, like he's got to lead a team. He knows it's kind of like a mom can't kill herself to save her family kind of thing. You need to, you need to do the best that you can. If you have that, that one villain, you got to get rid of it. And I get that. But do we think that, do you think Coulson thinks that he's dead or do you think Coulson just think, cause he's been around enough to think that someone who gets sucked into a, a big black hole has to kind of be somewhere still. I think Coulson believes that he's dead. That may be why he didn't destroy it, but yeah, I don't know. I thought I my feeling from that was he thinks that guy died. Right. I got the impression he only keeps the uh, gravitonium because who knows? Maybe it'll be useful down the road for Shield, which is exactly what uh, Doctor Hall kind of feared. So yeah, I, I don't think anyone knows that Doctor Hall is still alive. I, I think we have Agent Bibbs Bibiani on with us. Are you there, Bibbs? Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm here, and I thought we were going at 1 o'clock, so I'm terribly embarrassed. <laughs> That's all right. We missed you, Bibbs. Oh, I missed you, too. What you guys been saying? Just recap the whole episode for me. No one will be bored. So we were saying that uh, you're like our Frank Hall of this episode. Yeah, you're the you're the big bad of the shield cast, Bibbs. Oh man, <laughs> I'm getting I'm getting ridden off the show already. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're not writing you off. We just decided to recast you with a different actor. Okay. Oh yeah, <laughs> all right. <laughs> and actually, you came on at the perfect time because we're talking about Doctor Franklin Hall and what ultimately happens to him. Yeah, and I did a little bit of reading and discovered that this is a character from the comics. Yeah. This is not an, an original character created for the show. And that in the comics, Dr. Franklin Hall becomes a villain called Graviton. And you and Rod have both read the comics, and, and, and I haven't. So can you enlighten us? Who is Graviton? Graviton is like a B-level supervillain who can control gravity and stuff because he's all cool like that. He's also one of those characters who, like, everyone kind of knows and yet has never actually done anything that cool. So when they introduced him in the series, I I was like, I was thought two things. One, finally, finally, we have a character from the comics showing up in here because I was beginning to think that no one was going to have the rights to these characters. Like, we're not going to let you do any comic book characters whatsoever. And I also thought, ah, so they're never putting Graviton in a movie. Got it. That's That's good to know. That's never... He's not that important to them. <laughs> but he's a cool villain. He's, he's got, like, fun gravity powers. Uh, I was really impressed with the way that they did the rolling cage uh, office uh, at the end of the episode when gravity mm-hmm. started going nuts. That was actually some really good production value. So, um, yeah, I find it really encouraging because this is one of the things I was getting really impatient about for this series was when are they going to start introducing characters from the comics – uh, and episode three. Episode three is when they're going to Yeah, I mean, three episodes. Oh, my God, why did it take so long? Am I right, guys? 
That's almost 120 I, minutes of show. Well, you know, I, I think they probably didn't want to lead with it because if they started out that way, then people would be bummed if there's an episode in the future when they don't deal with the comics. So I imagine they probably just wanted to uh, establish that we're our own entity. We can do our own characters and our own villains, but we can do the comics and we will occasionally, but uh, they're not like beholden to it and they don't have to do it every single episode where every single episode, you know, Oh, this week it's a Razorback episode. This week it's a bloodshed episode. This week it's cardiac or every other villain that will never be in a movie. That was actually me being sarcastic, but I think Graviton uh, is super cool as a villain because he has the powers that rival like Magneto as far as conceptually. Uh, He's like taken down the whole Fantastic Four before and stuff like that. But at the same time, he's as overpowered as whoever writes him at the time. So I've also seen him be a little bitch and get beat up in like two pages. And then the other thing is that uh, that I like about him is pretty much every iteration of him he's just psychologically unstable and that is almost always how he ends up losing is because he as powerful as he is he loses his shit and then you can just like knock him out then and like put capture him in some type of weird ass prison but yeah that that is my thing about graviton that's cool is he's like done stuff like made the hulk so dense and so like uh you know gravity so powerful just around the hulk where the hulk can't move to like fight him or and then like hit him and then make gravity so light that he's like shot off almost into space stuff like that where you're just like oh look at that what a cool thing to do will they have the budget to really uh put that on screen on a tv show i don't know but they were flipping some trucks around so i feel like that's you know that bodes well maybe we can get some more truck flipping in the future the real question is how the hell do five humans beat that guy up because i don't think that's possible and here's my hope, honestly, that they're going to introduce Graviton, and then maybe they'll do some other villains over the course of the series, and then in the big series uh, season finale, all the villains team up as sort of a Masters of Evil kind of thing, and that's when we get an Avenger cameo. Ah, uh, that's a thought. That would be interesting. As someone who has not read the comics, I am super excited about the prospect of Graviton being uh, the big bad for the season, just because I didn't know who he was until last night. And then when I read up about him, I was like, oh, wow, this guy sounds really cool. Just with the power to uh, to influence gravity, that's a really cool power to have. Uh, and we, we got to see some of that on display in this episode. And I liked how, as you mentioned, Bibbs, the effects were really well done. It looked like they implemented a lot of uh, practical effects as well as CG, and just thinking about the possibilities for a a big, epic uh, season finale, uh, just in terms of action, there's so much potential with this villain. Mm -hmm. So I cannot wait to see how they develop him. And I I think it's important to point out that just because they've introduced him this episode doesn't mean he's automatically going to pop up again next episode. They may give us a few other mysteries of the week, uh, and then bring back Graviton closer to the end of the season. Yeah, because I'm curious how, I mean, if he comes back, I'm curious to see how he's going to come out of the Graviton. You know, like, I, there's got to be a way that they're going to open it up and get him out. Like, I don't know. It's going to be kind of fun. It'll be kind of like True Blood this last season. Well, I mean, you look yeah. at how uh, Joss Whedon shows have introduced and, and parceled off their villains before. The big bad for season seven of Buffy was introduced in one episode in season three and then never mentioned again. So yeah. there really isn't, you know, he, he can bring Graviton, they can bring Graviton back 
in season two, season three, season four. It doesn't matter. They're, they're just putting like the pieces on the board and they can just whip them out whenever they want to. Uh, and it can also depend on the actor's availability. Uh, this isn't like the biggest actor in the world. So I don't know if he's going to get snatched up anywhere. Like the Huntress on Arrow, like it's difficult to get her back right now because she's on another show. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, it, it could be at any time. And I just like knowing that he's there. And I like knowing that we're going to get more villains. Yeah. yeah, and I I can't wait for them to show that door popping off his hinges at some point. That's going to be an episode yeah. ending. Yeah, that's going to be, ooh. <laughs> or if he has, like, supporters within S.H.I.E.L.D. that, like, plot to get him out, like, that know what happens, that would be, like, a minion or something. I'm well, I mean, Rising Tide knows he's there. Yeah. That's a good point. I, I hadn't thought of that. Any villains that they find or create or whatever, Rising Tide's going to know they're there for the season, and ooh. You brought up uh, the actor, Ian Hart, Bibbs. Uh, Gwen, you said you're a big fan of him. I'm not sure I've seen him before, but now that we know he's the big bad, it should have been obvious because he recently was in a BBC movie called The Man Who Crossed Hitler, and he played Hitler. He, he also played Professor Quirrell in Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Yeah, he did. Oh, right. right yeah. Okay. And he was in Rogue which was a direct TV show. I love Ian Hart. I've been, I was saying earlier, I've been following him since he was on dirt. So I'm like the biggest, I got so excited when I saw him open up the doors. I was like, yes, <laughs> please bring him on in every episode. Well, B- Bibbs, you weren't here when we were talk- just giving our other general thoughts on the episode. What did you think of this episode as a whole? Did you, did you think that this was an improvement? Uh, okay, well, again, I don't know what everyone else said, so I apologize if I'm repeating anything, but uh, I also wasn't here last week. So right. here's my deal. I thought last week was a big disappointment. I thought, uh, I mean, it was good for like building, putting the team together and everything. We needed to get that out of the way, but the plot wasn't that great. The MacGuffin was really a, the mean, most meaningless MacGuffin possible. Uh, this one had a better spy plot, uh, had not much better villain, but a better introduction of a future villain. It really put uh, our heroine in an interesting position based on her, like, triple agent status. Um, I like the way that that all played out. There's still things that were really clunky about it, but it had good visual effects. Uh, I think the thing that I'm noticing as the series is progressing, the thing that I was hoping it would fix over time, is it just looks a little amateurish like there's money on the screen but it's money's are not like visual effects it's not thrown at lighting or editing every episode plays visually a lot like a sci-fi channel original movie and it feels just kind of lo-fi and i it really bothers me because the writing has so much personality there's that really good cut to commercial where agent colson says something and then he just gets whisked off screen uh by the gravitons that could have been really, really funny, and instead the idea is really, really funny. The implementation was kind of flat. So that's the thing that's frustrating me right now, but otherwise I consider this episode a huge improvement, and I'm really very moving forward. Gwen, last week you said that you were looking forward to seeing some of the directors that the show brought on board and seeing what they could bring to it. This episode was directed by Milan Shalov. Did you think that this episode demonstrated any interesting direction or just in terms of the the look? Did you notice anything different? Well, I definitely felt like they went back to having to relying a lot more on CGI than they did last than they did last week's, which I was kind of disappointed to see. Um, just because that, especially, I mean, I, like I said, I really enjoyed the cold open with the truck, but at the same time, it looked like they just kind of did that cold open in a, in a computer instead of just relying on fun, practical effects. But I do kind of agree with Bibbs on this because I think that the coloring on the show is way too bright. 
they haven't really figured out how to do contrast of like making it look like a comic book and making it look like a big blockbuster film. So I'd like to kind of see a little bit more playing with like shadows and things. And I think that that might just be a Joss Whedon touch. And since we're working with Jed Whedon instead, he may not have an actual like auteur touch yet. And if you don't have that auteur touch, you can't really tell your directors what to do either. Like one of the reasons that Vince Gilligan's ability to kind of parcel out his directing to so many different directors is because they all believed and understood what his his mission was. And I don't think that the, the we've only seen three right now and they all they look the same, but their coloring is really washed out, which is my biggest problem with it so far. That's an interesting point, Gwen, uh, because when it comes to television, I'm not sure there's really any uh, any kind of auteur theory for television, mm. you know, and it's sometimes it's hard to figure out, okay, who's responsible for the overall look and feel of the show? Is it the showrunner, like Vince Gilligan in the case of Breaking Bad, or is it uh, the individual directors? Well, individual directors have to work within the existing style of the show. That's why they hire them. Yeah. And a lot of directors talk about their difficulties in terms of, well, now I need to light my show the way everyone else lights the show. Now I need to cover the show the way everyone else covers the show. So uh, generally speaking, it is the executive producer or showrunner who is responsible for that. Right. There are exceptions. There are shows that are way more by committee. But there's been like books written now about how serialized television is becoming way more of a creator's medium than film in some ways ever was. So mm-hmm. and that's that's my yeah. Thing. Because you because the cool thing is like you have to kind of in a way the creator has to organize and and get his vision out to all these people. And I mean even on shows like The Office, like you had multiple different directors working on that show, and you could say, oh, okay, this is so and so's episode because of these kind of angles. Or this is so-and-so's episode because of this. Like, I really, really, really enjoyed last week's director, uh, Jeff Bell, I think was his name. And he's actually just signed on as going to be one of the executive producers of the show. So we might get to see a little bit more of his style coming up. And I know that David Solomon was originally supposed to produce, was supposed to direct this episode, and he's got a nice background in FX shows. So I'd like to, I kind of want to see more of that sampling. But this also, if you think about it, this also looks like an ABC show. It has a very similar coloring and a similar look as Once Upon a Time. And it's going to look like that. And it goes back to what Bibbs was saying, that it looks like a sci-fi made-for-TV movie. And I think that's just going to be a thing that's going to we're just going to see as the episodes go on. It's just brightly colored. It's an 8 o'clock show, so it's got to look good for kids. It's got to, it's got to look very simple. And I think that as we get closer and closer and they start figuring out what their mission's going to be, we're going to see more and more tightness of that. We just got super nerdy on this. No, no, that, that that was great. That's a good point. And uh, getting back to what you were saying, Bibbs, about how the showrunner is ultimately responsible for everything, I, I, I agree with you, and I think you're right. I think the question is, is this going to be a show where the directors get a little bit more freedom to experiment uh, with, with the overall style, or will they keep things pretty rigidly the same? Well, see, that's what terrifies me. Because Marvel Studios is is very much hands on as a as a studio right now. I mean, they they can't let everyone just go off completely in their own direction because everything does have to tie in. Uh, so you know, the show is being very carefully handled. And as I said, you know, they wouldn't be able to use Graviton unless Marvel Studios had decided we're not putting Graviton in a movie anytime soon. That's 
just how that's going to work. So I'm concerned that this very high-key sitcom lighting might be mandated as sort of, this is non-threatening. Mm-hmm. Yes, no one's going to be put off by this, but as a result of that, it's also doesn't really have the freedom to excel. So that's my concern. Yeah, it would be interesting to see the show if it wasn't a, if it wasn't aimed at being a family show. If it was aimed at being like a nine o'clock or a ten o'clock show, I'm re- I would be really interested to see what that would look like. But right now, I mean, they need to just be spending their more more money on doing practical effects rather than worrying about the special effects. Well, I mean, they have so much of the show takes place on uh, this plane that they have. So they have a set. They have a set that they can light any way they want. They have a lot of freedom to it. They can set up the lights and they can just leave them there forever, keep them marked off so they can always come back to it. So it's really not that much of a time saver for them to light it, again, just very flat, very, very high key. Mm-hmm. There's there's no reason why it has to look like this on the sets that they control all the time. A lot of times if you're shooting outside, if you're shooting on a location, you just kind of want to run and gun because it's a TV budget and you're moving along. But yeah, I don't know. It, it, it seems like this was a conscious decision and I'm not a fan of it and it doesn't make me look forward to every episode the way that I would very much like to. Uh, for the record, I just want to go on record as saying I don't, I don't, the lighting of the show doesn't bother me. I mean, it's just more corners for Colson to pop out of randomly. <laughs> yeah, we can all feel like we're getting up to level seven. And then also, uh, I kind of enjoy the contained feel of the show uh, as far as if they're going to have villains and stuff. I would like for the villains to mean something on the show to these characters because it kind of makes sense in this universe that maybe gravitons a shield problem but not a iron man problem because mm-hmm. we really can't have the crossover like we can in comic books where you know because it you know theoretically if we were making tv shows to parallel the marvel universe iron man will have a show captain america will have a show and maybe graviton gets his invention in shield but he shows up on and fights captain america in the episode and then now he's fighting the hulk but we can't have that, so I feel like this is a good compromise, which is possibly a guy like this is a show big bad, but not a Marvel big bad. And, you know, they pick the appropriate level of bad guy because he's not someone who will be missed in anyone else's mythology, I don't think. Exactly. And also, uh, in, in regards to his connection to S.H.I.E.L.D., A, he was a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent. B, Coulson created him. So if he's going to be motivated to go after S.H.I.E.L.D. and in particular Coulson, so there really isn't a reason for him to involve any of the Avengers unless he tries to, like, tilt the Earth off its axis or something ridiculously crazy, depending on how powerful they want to make him. They could have him completely localized to within, like, 20 feet of himself. They could make him a god. It all depends on how they decide to to work his character. Yeah. Right, and just there, there's so much potential with the fact that he can control gravity for some really impressive um, effects-heavy sequences. I'm kind of surprised that Marvel decided that they were going to put him on the show and potentially bring him back as a big bad. He seems like the kind of villain that would feel very appropriate for a huge Hollywood blockbuster movie, either Avengers 2 or Avengers 3. I mean, we're, we're all acting like he will just pop up on the show, but who knows? Maybe he will survive and they'll cross him over into the movies. I mean, do we know that that's not that that couldn't potentially happen just as a comic book person he has never carried that kind of weight ever never not once he doesn't he hasn't even had like an overarching like crossover between like say avengers x-men and such and such or oh you need to get all 12 episodes of what graviton is about to do to these fools because he's just not that (laughs) dude like he's always getting one or two books at best and then he's beaten up so it would be a huge upgrade for that character 
if yeah. he made it to be someone's bad guy. I think this is what's going to make him fun to watch on TV, though, is that, you know, these are all kind of like low, you know, these are not people that are going to get their own show. So they're all on TV for a reason. So kind of giving a villain that he wouldn't get his own movie, I think that's going to be fun. And because he's kind of small, that's going to give him a lot of ammunition to kind of be a dick for a long time and to kind of always kind of be under everybody's thumb. So I'm really, I think there's a lot of potential there for like long periods. You can take liberties with this character that real nerds would not allow with other characters. Mm-hmm. So yeah. like that is one benefit of taking a B-level guy is that no one's going to get too mad that, you know, it's not his wife who died. And that's why he's mad in this episode as opposed to like, you know, if this shit was like Magneto or something, people would already be like, fuck this show, burn it to the ground. <laughs> you know, most characters that Mar- Marvel owns, like over a thousand characters, uh, I'd say there's maybe 4,750 of them that most comic book fans wouldn't give a shit about if you changed. Seriously, there's like there's some that we're very attached to. There's some who, yeah, if you change the core element, they're just not that villain anymore or that superhero anymore. But for the most part, you know, honestly, if if they changed Razorback, would you care? Would you care? He's a guy in an electrified boar suit. It, it, it's it's <laughs> entirely OK if you switch that guy. out. That's all I'm saying. I'm waiting for my Razorback episode. That's that's my big point. <laughs> I want to see Deathlock, man. Yeah. I don't know how they'd pull it off necessarily, but I'm a big, big Deathlock fan. Um, I'd love to see me some Deathlock, and he always has a history with S.H.I.E.L.D. anyway in the comic book, so. Who is Deathlock? You gotta explain, you gotta define these characters for, for people like me. Deathlock is an undead. Like a vampire? Like Edward Cullen? Like, uh, like Universal Soldier, okay? Like, he died, and then they brought him back, and they had cybernetic implants, and then he went rogue, and then he became a hero, and then uh, Reggie Hudlin decided that S.H.I.E.L.D. had made an army of Deathlocks at one point, which that, that was kind of cool. But uh, the problem with Deathlock, and the reason why I'm not sure we can get Deathlock, is Deathlock is one of those characters that Marvel sold off in the 90s, and I'm not sure they have the rights to him anymore. Or they, they still, because sometimes the rights revert, you know, like Marvel now has Daredevil again, for example, but I'm not sure they have Deathlock or not. So maybe we can't get a Deathlock. But there's a lot of characters very much like Deathlock that we could get at some point. So who knows? Maybe Coulson is a Deathlock. Maybe so. <laughs> this is Deathlock on the screen, guys. That guy's badass. I want him to be the villain now. I want all villains ever. I love his jaunty red vest. And he already has a Whedon-esque bad guy look. Well, you know what I mean? Like, I could totally see him putting some makeup he on. He looks like Adam. He does, does look like look Adam. like yes. Adam. Good He's call. even got the cybernetic uh, little thing there, yeah. Oh, I miss Adam. Okay, well, I have a really stupid question. There are no stupid questions. I have stupid answers, so let's go. Just for people like me who, who don't really know a lot about the Marvel Universe, it's been announced that Avengers 2 is going to be about Ultron. Yeah. Is he related to Graviton? No. At all? Are they like cousins? They're just on guys. That's that's all they got. <laughs> no, no, no. No relation. They're cousins by marriage. <laughs> Ultron is directly related to uh, uh, Hank Pym, a.k.a. Giant Man, a.k.a. Ant-Man. Uh, he's also related to Wonder Man, and uh, that's kind of a bad... Oh, and uh, um, oh, uh, the Grim Reaper? Was that Wonder Man's brother? Help me out on here. Rodimus. I don't know, but I know Vision is also a part yeah. of... Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's it. Okay. Just wanted to make sure. Although, wouldn't that be cool if it was like they had a moment where it's like, wait a minute, Tron? <laughs> <laughs> I know <laughs> you, man. Have, they should just have a Tron crossover. That's what I say. 
All right. Well, the last thing I, I want to talk about, and we talked about this a little bit earlier, um, is just, just those themes that are continuing to run through the show, that idea of whether or not S.H.I.E.L.D. is an organization for good or for evil. I want to quickly quote a piece that Alyssa Rosenberg over at Think Progress uh, just published. It's a, an article entitled, What's Wrong with Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and How to Fix It? And she basically dives into a lot of the subtext of the show and how she doesn't feel the show is adequately exploring it. Um, She says, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. conducts the secrecy versus transparency debate by having Sky mouth platitudes about the evils of secrecy and declare resistance movements badass. This week's episode was a slight improvement on that, putting Sky in a room with an evil billionaire whose advocacy of transparency is entirely motivated by his desire to learn things that will help him exploit the Earth's natural resources and make enormous amounts of money. But the show is a long way from setting up viable competing sides in what's supposed to be its central debate and source of character friction. Do you guys agree with that? I mean, do you feel it's is it fair to demand that agents of Shield deal with issues like that in a really complex way this early on in no. its run? Oh. Or do you think that no? Okay. Well, kind of. I think she is from Think Progress, and mm. you know, obviously there's some sort of slant to it because that would be more interesting to her. But um, everybody else is here for the comic book shit. So would it be nice if they kind of delved into that? It would be nice for her and some people that are really into just that type of subject matter. But it wouldn't necessarily be nice for a lot of other people who are like, where the fuck is Graviton? I don't want to see, <laughs> you know, an episode of the newsroom about the, about the <laughs> ethics and morals of uh, spying on Americans. You know, and I, I was the one who brought it up in, uh, when we first did the preview for this series. I think we will see some like themes about that. And I think we're seeing them kind of slowly develop the preview for next week. Looks like that's going to be a major thing, you know, that shield isn't always the good guy and all that stuff, but we're not going to just get like some really in-depth look into as far as like surveillance versus, you know, freedom to do whatever you want to. And uh, also I think you have to allow for them to kind of grow it because Sky in that scene doesn't decide that Shield is good. She decides that Shield is better than that dude. That's it. Like she still is kind of like I'm a free agent, you know. I'm, I but I just know that you're super bad, and Shield <laughs> is not necessarily good. But they're looking out for people in this situation. So yeah, I, she might be looking a little too far into it. Here's here's my thing with this. Um, I, I think it's a little too easy to say that someone who works at a site called Think Progress is looking at this through a, a slant. Obviously, it wouldn't be on the site otherwise, but S.H.I.E.L.D. is inviting this because they are bringing it up because they did talk about it in every episode so far. It's, it's one of the fundamental building blocks of the show. Also, one of the fundamental building blocks of the show, that it's a family show. It is broad entertainment, and the fact that they are bringing up anything of context, of interest, of sociological import at all is simply a bonus at this point. Yes, it's not being handled very well. There's a very legitimate argument about that. It's very blunt. It's very simplistic. It's basically just, hey, we're telling the superhero story. Incidentally, the government. So I, I, I think it's a valid argument, but I also think it's kind of blowing it out of proportion. And I, as much as I would like to see the show be a rich and complicated and in-depth and wonderful exploration of the world of superheroes and big government and everything that that can be, I actually don't think we're ever going to get there. And I think we're just going to toy around with it whenever it's appropriate. That's my thought. Well, I hope you're wrong. I 
think that the show could potentially do both. I mean, there's no reason you can't have this uh, extra layer of commentary on top of the fun comic book superhero stuff. And you're right, Bibbs, Marvel is inviting that uh, by putting it in, in all of their episodes so far. So I can see where Alyssa Rosenberg is coming from, and I agree that I, I, I hope that the show starts to really explore that uh, in, in further depth later down the road. I just don't think it's it's necessarily fair to expect that this early in the game. I'm, I'm hoping that that will become a, a, a really, really dominant theme and play into character motivations in a, in a much more substantial way further down the road. Also, because they're not a 10 to 13 episode show, they're going to be able to kind of like draw out the surveillance issue. They're going to draw out these things in a way that if you watch a lot of cable shows or if you watch anything on Netflix, if you have to have the patience of watching something week to week and it's going to be somewhere between 18 and 24 episodes, they're going to draw this shit out a lot longer than we're used to seeing on other things that move a lot faster. And so they've got to establish that there is this overarching fear of uh, of them being watched, of them being big brother. Who's big brother? Who is the better big brother? And I think that, that was brought up at this week's episode with her being like, yeah, they're big brother, but at least they're a better one. They're building. They're going to be building on it. Because it's three, like you said, they brought it up in three episodes. So to say like, well, they're failing at it to me is a bit premature. Like I, I would wait a while before I jump into the, yeah. oh, they completely failed to illustrate the points about surveillance. Right. I think if we look back at it, like around December when we have our mid-season break, then we can really look at that and say, okay, did they do a better job of presenting these issues overall? I, I think it's a lot different when you have a longer show and it's broadcast. And honestly, in a, a series, you have to earn those moments. You can't just jump in. Like, like that's why I brought up the newsroom earlier is because the newsroom is centered around like a kind of a the idea that you're up on current events if you're watching this and these things these events have passed so here's this big breakdown of the philosophy behind it you can't just fucking do that with Shield you can't just be like well it's kind of like the drones right let's get into that like no it it, it needs to <laughs> it needs to like earn up to that moment you need to know who these people are because you got to have to understand like I think what's really great about our podcast is that we're a really good cross sectioning of who knows stuff about comic books and who doesn't. And like, I don't know who this Graviton character is. So I want to get to know him. I don't know who some of these agents are. I want to get to know them. And I don't necessarily, and then underneath all of that, there needs to be an overarching fear. And so I, I think that there's, I think there's going to be more time given to it. Yeah, I, I, I hope so. I hope so. Is there anything else that any of you would like to bring up about this episode or do you want to go ahead and get into some of our listener questions here in the chat room? First, um, I thought it was funny when uh, Sky brought up, uh, this is like Siri if it worked. I was like, wow, really going for the Apple slander three episodes in, Whedon? The balls on the sky. <laughs> I also thought a lot of the funny bits worked. Uh, another one was when they bring up that Coulson like gave like uh, almost gave up his life for the, uh, you know, to, for the Avengers. And he got, he's like, and my card collection, too. Nice little point back to the Avengers and the blood on the cards that uh, apparently he never died or whatever. So ruined his card collection as a nerd. I appreciate that. And I understand his anger. I also thought that uh, it was funny when uh, Melinda May had a lot of attitude this episode. She was not appreciative of, you know, having to get back into the field. But I like that her idea to get back into the field came because she's like, why are y'all so incompetent and things keep coming out to the last fucking second? I would rather be out there risking my <laughs> life than sitting here like almost dying every week. 
So uh, I really appreciate that. And it made me hype to see some more Melinda May action, uh, hopefully coming up in the next uh, the next week or so. And uh, I know you guys don't want to admit it, man, but uh, Sky running up to Grant in that pink dress after he saved her life, uh, all wet and stuff. I think we were all wet at that moment. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh. Way to sleaze it up there, Rodimus. <laughs> yeah. Uh, getting back to what you said about Melinda May, I was surprised that here in episode three, she's already decided to rejoin the team as more of a combat operative. That was something that frustrated me, honestly. Like, they introduced, like... I was a combat agent, but, you know, it kind of scarred me or it messed me up or maybe I hated it. Maybe I liked it too much, you know, and there's all these things you can go with it. And like, it's going to be, you know, this big, ooh, when's she going to spring back into action? And she had to do it once in the first episode and then once in the second episode. And then now she's just screw it. So why did we even bother? Like, seriously, if it's going to be that big a deal, yeah, what? I- unless she's going to go back into the field and get all, like, crazy dark side on us. Have a little PTSD on the field, that'd be awesome. Yeah, right? Or, or or just go, like, way too far and, like, shoot Razorback in the face for no reason. I'd love to see her <laughs> being, because she's, like, a, been a badass the first two episodes, and she's only been annoyed with action. So I would love to see her mm-hmm. full bore into some some people especially if next week they're fighting some like you know super disgruntled angry former black worker of shield i'm all about her fighting that lady because that lady looked like a motherfucking badass in the preview so yeah let's do that everyone who gets fired on this show is black does anyone see that as a problem that's kind of weird. Getting back to that racial subtext <laughs> from the pilot. Hmm. There, there's one more thing I want to point out about Melinda May, and this was from last week, and I didn't get to talk about it, my bad. But uh, there was a scene at the end of last week where uh, Melinda May and Ward were talking about Sky and like she wants to be an agent and what she needs is a good teacher. I don't understand why Ward had to be that teacher. It seemed like that would have been a good place to take Melinda May because she doesn't want to be in the field, but she does have all of this experience. Sky and May never have any scenes together, so it would have been a good bonding experience, and it would have been i think it would have avoided some of the cutesier romantic subplot moments that we're getting right now or you know you know oh my brother love me and i'm sensitive which is exactly why you need war to do it y'all are gonna have to get over this man we need them to, to fall in love and get messy and sloppy so we can have some good stuff to talk about man i would rather have interesting characters do that (laughs) <laughs> interesting people don't have sex they're too busy being interesting here's the thing here's the here's the reason why this this frustrates me and this happens in almost every television show right now in the chat that people are talking about the newsroom and as well they should because in newsroom they did this from the first episode in the first episode of the newsroom we've talked about this before andrew in the first episode of the newsroom jim and uh maggie someone points at jim and point, points to maggie and says hey you should have a romantic subplot with her and so it's way too obvious right from the beginning and so the show's going to have to move hell and high water to keep the two people who are obviously meant to be together apart until the series finale. Joss Whedon did that too. He did that with Xander and Willow. It's it's contrived at this point and making it that blunt that early, especially with such an obvious breaking point because you know that they're going to have their first kiss right before he finds out she's a double agent for Rising Tide. It's just frustrating to me the way that it, how how ham-fisted they're setting it up. So that bothers me. Well, I noticed at the end of this episode, she called him dad when he was training her, so. Yeah, she did. That set my agenda back a little bit, but I feel <laughs> like we get over this. It's just going to be more freaky. Well, I mean, she listen, she was, listen, she was an orphan or adopted, which means eventually we're going to find out who her parents are, and it's going to be a big plot point. Hooray. Uh, but it also means she has daddy issues, so that should be very interesting. What they really need is, like, a love triangle. You know what I mean? 
Yeah. Maybe we can get somebody else involved in this thing too. But yeah, I need me some romance. Y'all, y'all just got to get over this, man. This is good for TV. Yeah. No, they need like a, a love hexagon. They need everybody <laughs> on the show to be in love with each other, but they never quite overlap in the right way. <laughs> you know, like Coulson can have a thing for Melinda May. I'm Melinda May that. can have a thing for Ward. Oh my God. The porn version of this is going to write itself. It's just going to end in a big orgy. And just everyone's going to get it all out. We have way too much sexual tension on this play. And let everyone just just rip your clothes off and go at it for like 20 minutes. And then we're going to be good. And then no one will talk about it ever again. I mean, when you're constantly facing death week after week, that does wear on a person and, and just really make you want to go crazy sometimes. At some point, I and Ward got to get trapped in a small room, dog. <laughs> oh, that's that's inevitable. That, I, mean, I remember and when we talked about the pilot, uh, one of the things was I was waiting for the episode that took place almost entirely on the plane. We got that in, like, episode two. We had, like, one, like, backlot location, and then everything else was, oh, man, we're trapped on this plane. It's a good thing this is cheap. <laughs> so I want more episodes like that. I want more episodes of them just being kind of stuck on the plane and more, and I guess maybe i'm just being like just kind of thinking of episodes like the like fly or episodes like company man where you get to kind of have the characters just talk and explain stuff and i i want episodes like that but not right now i don't want that like next week i want that once we've gotten to know the characters and we need to get a little bit deeper with them once the characters are enough to build an episode on yeah i want to know what you guys think that uh the titles of this porn would be asses of shield oh <laughs> asses of shield's good anal of shield I said Agents of Sheath. That's not bad, but that's almost too much of a thinker. The problem with porn these days is that SEO, search engine optimization, has ruined porn titles. Because you can't do, like, a clever pun anymore. You just take the name of the thing and then put triple X after it, and then maybe add a porn parody just in case for legal reasons, and that's it. And that ruins it, and and, and I, I weep for the loss of puns, because that was the last great bastion of puns. There is one for the Cosby Show called Not the Cosby Show. Yeah, and then Not the Cosby Show 2, which is advertised as the most expensive interracial porn ever, which uh, I now I really want to see it. Yeah. <laughs> this is definitely not a family show. This is Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.Cast not being broadcast at 8 p.m. for families <laughs> on ABC. You're telling me we can curse and everything. You know, I, I, hey, it'll stay in the episode. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, is there anything else you would like to uh to bring up or talk about before we move on to listener questions in the chat room yeah, i think we're good yeah let's check out some questions here's here's our first one from kate cornell she says does he know that hall is still alive in there when we're talking about colson putting frank hall into the freezer i don't think so i don't think so i think if he did they would have done they would have like tried to extract him so he didn't become a threat later yeah, I think it's going to be a big surprise when he comes out and is angry and Coulson's like, oh, yeah, maybe I really should have put him in the slingshot. Yeah, that just pisses me off, too, because I'm like, I feel like Coulson knows better than to not think that you stuff somebody in something you can't explain and they wouldn't come back. I mean, he's gone through this a lot. Come on, Coulson, get your shit together. <laughs> what else do we got? Let's go to the next question. I think Kayla's talking about when we brought up that Coulson uh, keeps talking about that trip to Tahiti. I think she would say it was just a dream. Uh, either that or she just randomly types, it was just a dream. Well, I think we need to talk. I think we kind of skirted over that. But, you know, going over the our, my favorite storyline, which is what is really what is Coulson really like? Is he 
a robot? Is he something else? Is he just like a man with different brains? Why didn't he remember how to use the gun? Like they made a big deal about that, about how he didn't remember how to take the gun apart. So I think that this is de- this is another proof that he's, we're definitely dealing with a different Coulson. Or at least Coulson in a different body, whether it's a robot or life model decoy or a clone or whatever. He doesn't have the yeah. made a point of muscle memory. The other thing I like about the whole Tahiti thing is that every time someone mentions Tahiti, he says, I might get it slightly wrong, but it's a magical, it's magical. place. It's magical. Yeah. yeah, it's Manchurian candidate. Every time someone says something that relates to, I'm not supposed to think about this, this memory has been erased, he has a robotic response to it. So uh, we'll, we will eventually uh, find out that Tahiti is, of course, an acronym for a secret room in S.H.I.E.L.D. headquarters where they make clones. <laughs> That's my theory. Yeah, I think he's definitely some, some type of clone. Gwen, you don't, you don't look happy about that acronym. Karina says, uh, I'm all for cameos, but the less I see of the Avengers here, the better. Again, looking at the Amazing Spider-Man for a great look at the Amazing Spider-Man for a great way to do it. If they bring them on board for every big bad, he devalues the series' main characters. What do you guys think about that? Totally. I agree. I mean, cameos are cool, but the show needs to be able to stand on its own. That's kind of why I was, I mean, I was happy to see Fury last week, but at the same time, I'm like, I was hoping that would come a little bit later in the season. Well, I think you wanted to, again, I think they're establishing things, and I think they wanted to put in a quick cameo from someone other than Kobe Smulders, who more than Samuel L. Jackson would seem to be available for this. I think you want to get that out of the way soon, so you know, they'll, they'll, they'll get here. Like, we'll have cameos later. We're not going to screw you over on this. We're not going to wait way too long for something. But I think any sort of major cameo needs to be, in and of itself, either an event or one holy shit of a reveal. So, yeah, I, I, I want them to be in the cards. I want them to be available. But I want them to be saved for big moments. And I want this team to be self-sufficient enough to handle this stuff on their own. Because otherwise, why have them? Personally, I like to be some cameos, and they seem to be aware, uh, as so far of how to do them. I especially like when they have, uh, like, I don't know if you guys have seen, um, X-Men First Class, but like how Hugh Jackman does a cameo in there, but the cameo is basically like, fuck you guys, I don't want to be in this. I would like one of those with like a Tony yeah. Stark or something at some point where they're just like, well, call Tony Stark, and he's just like, man, fuck y'all, I'm not doing that. And that would make me laugh for years. So uh, anything like that <laughs> would be fine. I just, I'm glad they're not dependent upon them, and it makes me feel better that they seem to get it. It, it would be worse if they were like 20 minutes of Fury in an episode. That would be far worse than an after the credits joke, you know. Barger says the ratings continue to fall for this show. Did ABC give it a full season order? How bad did the ratings fall? I haven't seen the numbers. How bad? How bad did the ratings? Because obviously they were going to go down. They fell thirty three percent, which is not at which is not normal. Well, but how high did it start though? Wasn't it like astronomically high? It started with twenty million, and then went down to like fourteen million, something like that. I mean, it's not bad. Where does that place it in the Nielsen's? Like after like that first episode, like is it still in the top ten, top twenty? I'm not sure. That's my thing. It's like they fell, but that they fell to oh now it's merely a huge success. It's still, I mean, it's still a success for the network. It's not like it's not going to be a success, but they. I mean, they made a point, and it was up this week. It was it was up. They went back up. Yesterday's ratings were better. All right. Yeah, I, I don't think there's any chance of it not getting a full season order, as far as I'm aware. I mean, have they announced yet whether or not they're going to extend it from a 12 or 13 episode order to the full 22? I haven't heard anything about that yet. Okay. Also, it's kind of a weird time slot, too, 
So it may have taken people a couple of weeks to catch on that. No, yeah. this is going to be an eight or, you know, depending on where you're located in the country. But this is going to mm-hmm. be an hour earlier than most of your major TV shows. It's weird. It's weird to have it. It's weird to have a drama, an hour long show on at seven at eight o'clock. I mean, that's just not what the what people are used to on on uh, broadcast. So especially not on a Tuesday. That's usually Thursday reserved for Thursdays. Um, help me out, other other people. Are sports on right now? Are maybe people DVRing this and not watching it till later? Well, maybe they all watched Frontline last night, like me. Well, if I'm remembering this correctly, wasn't didn't like 10 million people tune in to watch the pilot live, and then the other 10 million was through DVR and Hulu and sites like that? Yeah, they have time to get to it. 20 million live. Oh wow! Yeah. Okay. That's I why I'm saying that. it did. It did numbers that you don't normally see on broadcast in general also baseball playoffs alone so that mm-hmm. could be part of it too is baseball a big sport i don't yeah yeah right now it's a big okay. deal nobody watches oh, okay. games, but playoffs everybody watches oh okay cool that's 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 neat yay sports <laughs> i just hope everyone has a good time but to answer Sparger's question the numbers were up this week that is the antithesis of the shield demographic sports I don't know. I think it's gotten pretty, pretty mainstream. I think I don't. I don't really see it that bad. I'm just joking. I'm joking. All right. Okay. Those guys used to beat me up, and now they have their games to watch. Fuck them. Kate says, "Do you think the show is paying off on its original premise? Uh, promise to show a real world dealing with the superpowered." No. That's your answer. I agree. We've just shown two shield missions that have nothing to do with normal people. They have to do with the super rich and other shield agents. Uh, we touched upon it in the first episode. They haven't gotten back to it yet. And they don't have to do it every single week. But if you're concerned that, you know, oh, have they gotten to it yet? No, no, not in the slightest. No, not in a million years. Now I'm going to have to go off the reservation and say yes. What? One, you had oh, shit. Gunn losing his job. And he gave that big ass speech about like, motherfucker, I can't even get a job. And Captain America and Thor flying around and shit. How the fuck are y'all going to be hiring black people now? Well, yeah, in one episode. Well, hold on, not done. Episode okay. two, um, they they have the uh, militia people that have this, like, internal civil war going on, uh, which is a real-world issue. And she decides, yeah, fuck that. Since there's heroes, we're taking this technology shit. We're done uh, worried about alliances. And Phil is like, now the alliances are us against everybody. Like, aliens and shit are coming. We don't have time for civil wars and borders anymore. This shit is more important. In the latest uh, latest episode, um, Frank Hall brings up the fact that S.H.I.E.L.D. is, just, in his opinion, just as fucking untrustworthy in the new world with this uh, new technology that they have access to. And that's why he's going to destroy, destroy the Gravitonium is because he thinks, hey, you guys have been collecting alien weaponry for so Captain America's day. You guys have been trying to harness the uh, gamma powers of Bruce Banner. You guys are like palling around with gods and shit. I don't trust you either. So I feel like, yeah, this is real world people. It's not, you know, necessarily you're every man, but these are real world implications of people reacting to the fact that they now know about things beyond their scope. And they're going, I'm going to change the way that I would have reacted to this before. You know what? You've convinced me. Uh, I retract my point. I was thinking about the man on the ground. You were thinking about the real world as a whole. Fair enough. You broke us. You win, Rod. Raw still. I'll take this victory move. To, is Tahiti really Kung Lao? And we see some Iron Fist cameo down the line. No, I think it's really far-fetched. 
I don't know what that is. Isn't Kung Lao a character from Mortal Kombat? Was that really? I thought Iron Fist was from a different place. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I know it's not. Nanda Parbat is the DC version. I'm not sure what the Marvel version is of this place in the mountains where people go to rejuvenate themselves and whatever. I, I, is it Kung Lao? Rodimus? He is from Mortal Kombat. Okay. All right. So Coulson went to a guy with a razor hat and uh, uh, he fixed him right up. It was pretty cool. I would like to see an Iron Fist cameo. The Rand Corporation is something that they could easily fit into the show based on the way it's working right now. So, and the the Rand Corporation in the comics, not the actual Rand Corporation, which you know they won't have none of this. They'll just they'll just they'll just whack us. What is the uh, the Rand Corporation in the comics, and who is Iron Fist? Iron Fist is a billionaire playboy who, in very similar to Batman, uh, got. Uh, Got screwed over, got trapped in the mountains, ended up rebuilding himself in the Eastern mysticism, becoming a Kung Fu expert, and then coming back to America to fuck some shit up. And Karina Cooper says they meant Kung Lun, which I do think actually is correct. He's Danny Rand, and as my friend Asian Chris refers to him, he is another white man capitalizing off of uh, Asian background in Marvel, so he's not a fan. Because uh, he's like a blonde haired, blue eyed, Asian badass dude, like kind of, you know, like he has all the powers yeah. and fu and shit. But uh, he's not a fan of Danny Rand at all. So uh, I don't know, man. Hopefully we don't see him because I don't want Agent Chris to be bitching in my ear on Thursday at the bar, man. Sorry. <laughs> Can't be dealing with that. Um, all right. Last question. With the ratings talk, would this be better on cable TV, AMC, FX or something like that? Well, it wouldn't get better ratings. It would not get better ratings, no. No, it wouldn't be worth the investment. It might have more freedom to be a more interesting show, but it would not get better ratings, no. Yeah, I guess the question here is, does he feel those channels are more loyal to their shows than, say, network TV is because network TV is so rating-centric? Well, here's the thing. I think if if a network gets a show that it can brand and have that be like the face of the network, the network's going to hang on to it for 10 years if it can. Cable will try to do that, but cable will also fuck with you. Cable will, uh, you know, let, hey, this show's a little expensive. Let's only show six episodes this year, and next year we'll show the next six. I don't know if that's necessarily better for everyone involved. Also, you know, they'll cancel shows all the time. AMC was really behind the killing, then they canceled it outright, and then they, all right, we'll do one more of the killing. Oh, wait, this still sucks. Okay, we'll cancel that. It's not a guarantee. I would, you know, if anything, if it was to go on any cable channel, I think it would make a fine FX show. Just because they could make it a little bit darker. But I kind of like that they're trying to make it a light family show. And there's really only room for that on broadcast right now. There's not a lot of cable channels that are doing light family fare with dark, with deeper issues. And I want the show eventually to become a light family fare with deeper issues that families can talk about later. Yeah, that because also like FX and AMC, those cable channels have to replace the fact that they don't have major ratings with a lot of like really gory violent stuff yeah i don't need rape like invading my shield time if that's okay i'm cool with that yeah can we keep that over there with sons of anarchy you know i don't need to see uh necessarily a lot of gore and violence in this series Uh, i think they've had what four or five movies at this point that really set up a world where uh there are some uh lines of good taste and i'm cool with that yeah, I definitely agree. I think that there's no room. I would hate that. As a woman watching the show, if it was to go on any other route and they were the women on this were constantly in fear of being 
injured or sexually assaulted, I wouldn't like that. And so I'm happy that it's on a network that's more about making it more family oriented, making it about comic books and sharing the stories like that. That makes me want to keep coming back. Yeah. If Charlie Hunnam shows up on this trying to sell Coke to Shield, I'm going to be. Well, I mean, if he's going to be Christian Grey, I'm totally fine with that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying as the resident book nerd. I think that's a good note to wrap things up on. Uh, that'll wrap it up for this episode of Agents of Shieldcast. Write in and let us know what you thought of this episode. Uh, you can email us at shieldcast at filmgeekradio.com or comment on the website at filmgeekradio.com. You can also subscribe to us through iTunes. Please write us a review. It's like I mentioned at the top of this episode. We have an opening for a monkey wrangler to help Fitz, but... We haven't gotten any really great iTunes reviews yet. So this position is still open. Write us a a five-star review. Tell us why you like the podcast. And uh, that job could be yours. You could get a special shout-out on the show. Also, if you really like uh, the podcast and you'd like to financially support us, you can donate to us by going to filmgeekradio.com and clicking on the donate button. Uh, That money really helps us out. It goes towards helping us pay for hosting and bandwidth and covering all of the other costs that come with producing this show. Uh, You can also use our affiliates page to visit some of our partners, including Amazon. And uh, anything you purchase from our affiliates, uh, if, if you use our site to get there, we will get a small percentage of whatever you spend. So you can buy something for yourself and help us out at the same time. And uh, as always, be sure to check out other great shows on Film Geek Radio, including Cinema Fix, The Thin Place, and uh, our new podcast all about the third season of Homeland, The Briefing Room. Uh, Agent Bibbs Bibiani, where can people find more of your work? Uh, yeah, I'm the film channel editor at Crave Online. You can see all my movie reviews and interviews, and we're doing a web series about Stephen King horror movies every day throughout October. I'm doing um, a series of extended interviews with Child's Play creator Don Mancini. Those are both on YouTube uh, and Crave Online. Uh, and uh, you can hear me on Agents of Shieldcast. And you can hear me on the B Movies podcast every single week. And uh, Twitter at William Bibiani. That's all I got. And the radio. And the radio. I'm on KCRW 980 AM in Los Angeles on Fridays at about 945 AM. Agent Rod Morrow, where can people find you online? You can go to theblackouttips.com. You can find me online there. You can find me uh, at Rodimus Prime on Twitter. Uh, if you want to see me talk about TV shows and live tweet them, you can follow me at Ride Live Tweets. That's where I do my Agents of Shield tweets. And um, I'm just glad that Bibbs is back in the field, even though he's a little rusty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Agent Gwen Reyes, where can people find more of you? Uh, you can find me on uh, Twitter at Real Vixen, um, as well as uh, RealVixen.com and on FreshFiction.com. You can find my film and TV criticism at moviemezzanine.com and pathios.com. You can also find me co-hosting a few other podcasts on Film Geek Radio, including Cinema Fix every week. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at writerandrew, and I hope that you will do so so we can keep talking about Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. That'll wrap it up for this podcast. Agents, disassemble. Excelsior. To infinity and beyond. This has been a Film Geek Radio production. Film Geek Radio! Yeah!